On today's episode, we go in-depth with David LaRock, mortgage broker, about the new mortgage rules and how they're going to impact the market. Stay tuned. Welcome to the True Condos Podcast with Andrew LaFleur, the place to get the truth on the Toronto condo market and condo investing in Toronto. All right, it's my pleasure to welcome back to the show returning guest, David LaRock. David is a mortgage broker with Integrated Mortgage Planners. He has been in the mortgage business for about 20 years. He's a great expert to have on the show. And uh, David, we're happy to have you back here again. Thanks, Andrew. Good to be back. Yeah, and uh, it was great. Last episode, we talked a lot about interest rates and and, uh, what was happening there. Maybe we'll touch on that again today. But obviously, big one we want to talk about are the new mortgage rules, the so-called stress test. Um, should we be stressed out or not? Uh, maybe is the key question, but, uh, why don't we start by just for people who are uninitiated, don't know what are the new mortgage rules that have just come down the pipe exactly? What are they? Sure. Well, there are three rules. Um, two of them aren't getting much play at all. Uh, and one of them is getting all the play. So, um, in the interest of being thorough, why don't we go through all three? The first two I'll go through quickly. Um, uh, the first change um, is basically uh, reminding lenders if they didn't already know or reminding. Uh, so, so, first of all, the, the, the changes that uh, were made were made by the Office of the Superintendent of Financial Institutions, and that's a mouthful. So we call them OSFI for short, which is an acronym of their uh, of their name. Um, and basically, OSFI regulates uh, all of the federally uh, uh, regulated lenders in Canada. So that's most of them, everybody but the credit unions, because the credit unions are uh, regulated provincially and, and private lenders. Um, so the first change uh, from OSFI was, was basically to say that um, lenders can't use uh, creative um, uh, uh, creative solutions to get around loan-to-value uh, limits. So, for example, if if lenders have um, uh, if a borrower um, needs to have 20% down in order to qualify for a certain product, the lender can't uh, come up with creative ways of giving them unsecured credit uh, to get them to that 20% threshold. Now. Um, as I said in this week's blog post, um, I guess common sense, it was just uh, a bridge too far to assume that lenders would use common sense because um, uh, really they shouldn't be doing that. Borrowers are supposed to be putting down money with cash on the barrel, not with other borrowed funds. Um, but the first change was simply a reminder to them that they can't do that, and an explicit reminder. I think it's a relatively minor change. I don't think most lenders were doing it. Um, word on the street is it was mostly the banks at the branch level. Um, so basically that's just a bit of a hand slap for them. Secondly, the second change was that OSFI said that it will now require lenders to enhance their loan-to-value measurement and limits so that they will be dynamic and responsive to risk. And they specifically mentioned in their sort of explanation of what that meant, because sometimes that wording can be a little bit uh, obtuse for uh, for most of us, uh, they said that basically they want um, uh, they want lenders to start distinguishing uh, between regional housing markets. So, for example... Um, uh, the loan-to-value the, the loan ratio is simply the percentage of the value of the property that is borrowed. So if somebody borrows 500000 on a million-dollar property, the loan-to-value is 
And uh, that can change quickly because if house prices drop precipitously, let's say house prices drop by 20%, all of a sudden loan-to-value ratios uh, that at one point looked like they were very much in line with long-term averages can suddenly look very much out of whack. And what Ofsi is really saying with the second change is that in the event that a regional housing market um, uh, suffers a price correction, uh, Ofsi wants lenders to be able to track regional LTVs. So in other words, if a lender has broad lending across the country, it can't it can't hide a regional disparity in an overall number. It has to be able to identify what the loan-to-values are specific to um, each region. And if a region's loan-to-value uh, ratio is, um, uh, is unusually high, uh, then those lenders are expected to restrict loan-to-values in those regions until the LTV ratios come back in line. So, for example, the most recent example we saw of this was in Alberta during the oil price shock. And what happened is um, as house prices fell, lenders then scaled back the loan-to-value ratio in Alberta. In other words, they, they, they said if you want to uh, have access to certain products, now you have to increase your down payment because we're worried about house prices. Interestingly, lenders did this at their own accord, and this was before um, Aussie mandated this change. So what makes me a little bit nervous about this change, and while nobody's really talking about it now, we may be talking about it later, is I'm concerned that maybe Aussie now wants to be a little bit more proactive about managing regional LTV ratios. In other words, maybe they're going to start saying, well, even though those prices haven't dropped by much, we're worried they might drop, so we're going to restrict loan-to-value ratios in those regions preemptively. And if they do that, that may materialize the very risk that they're hoping this policy will help guard against. So um, not setting any alarm bells here, but definitely watching this change uh, with some caution because, um, uh, as I said in my post this week, our regulators are no better at timing the market than we are, and if they're going to more actively manage these LTV ratios at lenders, um, uh, that, that could be destabilizing and, and a concern. Um, so, again, no, no cause for alarm at this point, but um, the fact that they're explicitly mandating something that lenders were already doing of their own accord uh, causes me to question why a little bit. The third change is the big one, and that's the stress test. Basically, um, uh, most of your listeners will be familiar with the stress test for high-ratio borrowers. If you're putting down less than 20%, you have to show that you can afford for rates to go up significantly. Um, and even though your mortgage rate is probably still below 3%, if you're looking for a five-year fixed rate, um, you have to sh- your mortgage is your application is qualified on a rate of 4.89% today. In other words, you have to show you can afford for rates to go to 4.89% um, uh, if you're going to get that below 3% rate. What Aussie um, has now done is they've said even if you don't need default insurance, we are still we are now going to mandate that every borrower that a federally regulated lender lends to has to qualify using a stress test. And if you're a conventional borrower, instead of having a 25-year M, you can still have a 30-year M, but we're now going to qualify you on the greater of the stress test rate, which is 4.89%, or the rate on your mortgage that you're applying for plus 2%. Interestingly, and somewhat bafflingly to me, they said that they added that greater of clause where they take 2%, the contract rate on the mortgage you're applying for plus 2%. They said that they um, uh, were doing that to avoid people going into shorter-term mortgage products or to avoid people being pushed into shorter-term mortgage products in order to qualify. What I find baffling is that that greater of clause does exactly that. Today, 
if you if you apply for a three-year rate, you can get them as low as say 2.79%, and five-year fixed rates for a lot of uninsured borrowers are closer to 3.09%. 2% plus 2.79 is 4.79, i.e., that three-year borrower would then qualify at the stress test rate of 4.89 because that's it's the greater of 2%, your contract rate plus 2% or 4.89, so that three-year borrower. 2% plus their contract rate is 4.79, so then they would default to the stress test rate of 4.89. The borrower who wants the five-year fixed rate at 3.09 plus 2% would be at 5.09. So technically, a borrower who's borrowing right at the margin of their affordability would be able to afford to qualify for a three-year fixed rate, but not a five-year fixed rate. So I, what I find baffling is Ossie said this change was made to avoid people being pushed into shorter term rates to qualify, and that's exactly what their change has done. So um, I'm shaking my head a little bit at Jeremy Rudin. I, I, I hope he reads my post <laughs> at some point. Um, or, and I'm surprised that more people talking about the changes haven't highlighted this because it is confounding to me uh, that the policy would do the exact opposite of, of, of what OSPI has stated um, it is intended to do. But that's the gist. Um, in terms of who that test will affect, one thing people need to remember is most borrowers aren't pushing the envelope. They aren't going right to the edge of the table in terms of what they can afford. It's estimated that anywhere from one in six uninsured borrowers will be affected by this change. Now, to be clear, that's still a lot of borrowers. The uninsured market is still uh, more than half of the overall mortgage market. So a lot of those borrowers, uh, it still affects a broad swath of borrowers. Um, and some think it could be as many as one in four, um, although the closest we can get to estimating who these borrowers are is a Bank of Canada study that was done last year where they looked at um, the increase in the number of borrowers at the margin who were just being able to qualify. And that's one of the reasons why this change came about is they said, we're seeing our regulators said, Aussie and the Bank of Canada working together, or all of our regulators looked at it and said, um, we're seeing an increase in the number of borrowers who are right at the upper edge of their affordability, which is somewhat expected when, when, when house prices were going up by so much. And they wanted to address that problem. Um, so this change impacts those borrowers, the guys who are really at the edge of the table. Um, but I think if we use the Bank of Canada study from last year, that number is probably closer to one in six. Uh, the banks say that 90% of their borrowers will be unaffected. But this change is targeted straight at them, and they're talking their book there. I think their their CEOs are worried about their share prices and what people think is going to happen to their mortgage volume, uh, and I, I would not take their word for it on this one. Interesting. So one in so one in six borrowers may be affected, but is that one in six of all borrowers or just one in six of the non-insured borrowers, people putting 20% down? Is that what you mean? I would say, uh, good question. I would say, I would say, one in six borrowers who are putting down twenty percent or more. So, um, again, that's the majority of borrowers, and um, uh, and you know, one in six is not a small number. It is definitely um, uh, going to affect uh, affordability in the market and overall demand. The question everybody asks is, well, what is this going to do to house prices? Um, I think it will slow the rate of house price appreciation, uh, will lead to an outright decline. Hard to say. Um, there's no question that our borrowers want to slow the rate of borrowing. There's, there's no question. Um, and I also have no doubt in my mind that if this sixth round of changes doesn't do that, there'll be a seventh round and an eighth round until they get exactly what they're looking for. That's slowing in the overall rate of household debt accumulation. 
Um, uh, but uh, so in answer to your question, Andrew, yes, I think I, my estimate is one in six uh, borrowers who have down payments of 20% or more. Um, just from your like anecdotally, from your like you have a, a, a high volume mortgage practice, like would you say it's similar numbers in the clients that you're dealing with on a monthly and, and yearly basis? People who are the people, how many people are sort of putting more than twenty percent down and who are borrowing to the very edge? Who, if you suddenly chopped twenty percent of their borrowing power off, would be, you know, severely affected. Well, that's an interesting question. I do business across the country, but most of my business is in Toronto. And of my Toronto business, most of it is in Midtown Toronto. Um, for those borrowers, uh, for the borrowers that I'm dealing with, I went back and looked at my recent vintage of applications, and I had very few who would be affected. Um, again, I wouldn't want to extrapolate um, uh, my portfolio of mortgages to, to the overall market because I think in, in Midtown Toronto, uh, you get a lot of buyers who are buying second, uh, their second home or their, or their third home kind of on the ladder. Um, so there's lots of equity built up and, um, and generally speaking, they're farther along in their career. But I do work with, um, lots of first-time home buyers and not every first-time home buyer is putting down less than 20%. And even when I look at that group, um, uh, it's hard to find many at all that will be affected. I'm, I'm often impressed by, um, young borrowers being very practical in terms of how much uh, they're comfortable borrowing. It's not, the question I get is not um, how much will the lender lend to me? What's the most they can afford? It's we've done a budget. We're comfortable spending X amount of dollars every month, let's say 2000 or $2,500 a month. Um, and what can we afford based on wanting that to be our monthly mortgage cost? And I think when people go about it that way, um, they end up nowhere near the edge of the table in terms of what the lender will lend to them. Because as I often say to borrowers, it, when the lender looks at the maximum they'll lend you, they don't care if you save for retirement, ever go out for a nice dinner, or ever take a vacation. Their only concern is, does your income, uh, is your income high enough to ensure that we'll keep getting our payments on a timely basis? And uh, if the answer to that question is yes, then then they're done. Uh, but for but for real people individual borrowers, uh, people don't want to be house poor. They don't want to be uh, locked into a corner where they can't have any quality of life. And, uh, and because the, uh, the vast majority of people I talk to approach mortgage financing that way, um, that frames their thinking uh, in, in a much more responsible way than I think the, the, the media generally talks about. The media likes to focus on that sort of that, that marginal story of that buyer who really pushed the envelope um, because they want a headline when they, and you know, the, the more fallacious the story is, the, the better itself. Sad as that is, as we common in our society. Uh, but on a day to day basis, th those aren't the types of borrowers that I, that I see come through my door. Is this effectively shutting down the bank of mom and dad? What are your thoughts on that? I don't think so. Um, if, if affordability, um, shrinks, then one of the ways to combat that is to increase the down payment. So if anything, I think it, it increases the, the need for the bank of mom and dad for some borrowers. Um, uh, but because getting to that 20% threshold now no longer eliminates the need for the stress test, um, it, it reduces the, 
effectiveness of the bank of mom and dad uh, in all but cases where the bank of mom and dad has enough funds to simply buy the house outright and can simply toggle up the amount of the down payment to uh, uh, to account for the higher the higher standard. Um, if the bank of mom and dad was getting uh, the um, uh, their, their child uh, just over 20% so that they could qualify without the stress test, definitely that bank of mom and dad is now ineffective and shut down. Um, uh, but otherwise, uh, demand for some banks of mom and dad will, <laughs> will increase because the stress test will shrink affordability and, and the bank of mom and dad might have to increase the down payment to enjoy that difference. Again, though, um, I think the bank of mom and dad is, uh, it's a clever phrase that gets used a lot in the media, but I, I, uh, and I definitely see banks of mom and dad in what I do, um, but it's certainly not underpinning the market. It is a factor, but it is not the factor. Interesting. Last time we spoke uh, a few months back, we talked a lot about interest rates. Um, why don't you give us an update on where you think interest rates are heading moving forward and, and sort of how your thoughts and predictions from a few months ago, how they played out uh, or not? Well, I, I, I think I said a few months ago that I thought concerns that rates were going to spike were overblown and, and listed lots of reasons for that being the case. Um, I continue to believe that's the case, even more so now. Um, and uh, if you go back and look at my Monday morning updates, I sort of walk people through very systematically why I think rates aren't going to go up as much as people think. One of the, one of the key points I think I made last time was that the Canadian dollar had appreciated more rapidly than the Bank of Canada was expecting, uh, that that would slow our exports and that as that happened um, it would it would slow our economy down and then and, and in fact that's exactly the case the, the last time the Bank of Canada did their economic forecasts they had the loony at 73 cents it's been hovering at 80 cents for the last uh, couple of months it's at 79 today but 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 pretty much right there and we had a bang up second quarter 4.5 percent GDP growth in the second quarter but interestingly um, the loony spiked um, right at the end of the second quarter. Export volumes have dropped since. The economy has slowed considerably, um, and uh, and the loony uh, hasn't really sold off. It's it's pretty much well, it's well above where it was the last time the Bank of Canada made its forecast. So uh, we'll find out tomorrow. We'll get the Bank of Canada's latest update. Uh, they're not expected to raise rates. I certainly don't think they will. Uh, but we'll also get their monetary policy report, which will include their new forecasts, and we'll see what kind of adjustments they've made because um, there's no question in my mind the economy um, has slowed, and, 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 and I'm of the belief that it will continue to slow. Um, as far as how these changes impact rates, uh, I think the impact uh, will only be um, uh, will only be uh, um, uh, will, will only take pressure off of rates, and, and here's the reason why. Um, when you look at at, at what's been driving our economy since the Great Recession in uh, in 2008, um, uh, it's been consumer spending. Consumer spending accounts for about 58% of our overall GDP activity. And consumer spending is only paid for in one of three ways. Uh, number one, by rising incomes. Uh, number two, by uh, a, a drawdown in savings. And number three, by increased debt. Um, and when you look at what happened, what's happened with incomes since 2008, they've risen by about 10%. Um, and um, over that time, uh, uh, consumer spending has expanded by about 25%. So um, incomes have definitely been a factor, but not de facto. Uh, since 2008, our overall saving rate has increased from 3% to 4.5%. So clearly it wasn't a drawdown in savings because savings have gone up during that period. 
when you look at debt levels, uh, and I did a post recently and I showed a graph of what has happened to household debt uh, since 2008, they've gone right up. There's a chart, and then they started in the bottom left corner, and they went to the top right corner. There's simply no denying that. Debt has driven consumer spending, has been the primary driver of consumer spending since 2008. The changes that were announced last week are designed to slow the rate of household debt accumulation. And I'm a long-term guy, and I think that's probably uh, going to be good for our economy in the long term, even if it means there's going to be short-term pain. It'll be short-term pain for long-term gain. But there's no denying uh, that household debt has been the primary driver of consumer spending for the last decade. And if the government is determined to slow the rate of household uh, debt accumulation, um, then that will slow consumer spending. If consumer spending slows and consumer spending drives almost two-thirds of our overall economic momentum, we will see a slowdown in our, in our growth rate, uh, in our GDP growth rate. And also, the Bank of Canada is very bullish about consumer sentiment and business sentiment. They're saying businesses are starting to invest and all of these sort of virtuous economic cycles are going to be underpinned by business investment. I can't see businesses investing as they – all these sentiment surveys say that businesses are feeling more optimistic and they're planning on investing. But if consumer spending slows and slows sharply, uh, I can't see those businesses following through on those plans. So if consumer spending has been driving economic growth and consumer spending has been underpinned by rising household debt levels, <clears throat> and if our regulators are now determined to slow our rate of household borrowing, consumer spending will slow, and with it, our economic momentum will slow. As that happens, there's no way the Bank of Canada will tighten. Uh, if anything, they may actually turn around and say, go from being neutral to saying uh, uh, we need to, to lower rates to stimulate economic growth. Um, uh, and, and, and the bond market, I don't think the bond market will, uh, will, be, will be raising yields because investors certainly, the, the number one reason yields go up is investors are worried about inflation. And in a flowing economic environment, inflationary pressures are, what we have is disinflation, uh, not inflation. Um, and all of those factors together <clears throat> would portend lower rates, not higher rates. So, uh, whereas before, I thought rates might go up, but go up much more slowly than those uh, uh, than the, the the regular Pollyannas saying the sky is falling and everybody has to lock in. Today, we're saying um, I'm I'm more convinced now that rates are likely to either stay where they are or even go down a little bit. Uh, in the near future as a direct result of these changes. The last point I'll make is some have felt that higher interest rates would be a way to address household borrowing. And um, that's always been a blunt tool because rates feed into all kinds of other parts of our economy. And, and, um, and, and quite frankly, raising rates to slow borrowing would, 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 would hurt other parts of our economy, even if it achieved that goal. The fact that we now have these macroprudential changes happening um, um, and our regulators are restricting access to, to, to borrowing, um, that makes it even less likely that interest rates would ever be seen as a solution. The urgency um, uh, for higher rates to slow household borrowing um, has effectively gone away uh, if the changes made by the regulators, uh, by, the, by our regulators achieve that end. Why do you think, speaking of household debt, why do you think the OFSEE and the feds in general are so obsessed with mortgage debt household, you know, uh, housing debt, but never seem to bring up the subject of, uh, you know, other forms of debt, such as credit card debt and, you know, the sources of debt that are really 
causing economic pain for people, you know, 25% interest rates versus 3% mortgages that are tied to assets that have, you know, 2000 years of history of, you know, increasing in value. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, it's a great question. And it's one that our industry has asked for a long time. Um, uh, I think, I think there's several reasons. Number one, um, the, the amount of mortgage debt outstanding versus the amount of uh, other forms of consumer credit outstanding, uh, mortgage debt uh, uh, is, is much, much higher than, than other forms of consumer credit. So on a proportionate basis, uh, uh, mortgage debt is an elephant, uh, and, uh, and cons- overall other forms of consumer credit, um, even though the rates are higher, even though that kind of credit is, 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 there are more insidious lenders and it causes more hardship. Um, if, if mortgage debt is an elephant, uh, other forms of consumer credit are probably, um, well, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe the size of a lion, <laughs> comparably. Uh, that's number one. Number two, um, when, when, when there are large scale defaults in consumer credit, the economy has a hiccup and, and hits a speed bump, but it generally keeps chugging along because that that kind of uh, uh, d- default is generally uh, limited. It doesn't lead to widespread contagion, um, and and it is and and it is and, it is, and, and lenders can generally certainly large lenders can bear the brunt of that. Uh, mortgage um, uh, large scale mortgage defaults uh, have much more significant effects uh, on economies. Look at the U.S. economy; it still hasn't recovered uh, from its balance sheet uh, crisis uh, in 2008, and housing still hasn't recovered there. Um, and it's fed into all parts of the economy. So I think um, uh, a default in mortgage debt is sort of like a nuclear bomb, and uh, a default in uh, an increase in defaults in consumer credit is is more like a cruise missile. So I think, uh, in answer to your question, Andrew, I think mortgage debt has the potential to harm an economy much more significantly. Uh, a because it's much larger, and B because it 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 feeds into other parts of the economy. Now that said. Um, I'm concerned that, for example, the amortization periods on things like auto loans um, keep extending. At some point, uh, people are going to be paying off their car loans after their their cars uh, are are no longer working. Um, You know, if you can get a 10-year AM on a car, I don't know, I don't know, you know, I had a Subaru Forester, bought it new, drove it into the ground, 12 years later, it had a cracked engine head, and... uh, uh, I, I would have had to have pushed the thing down the street to get it to go. And that was a very good car with low miles and hardly got driven. Uh, 10 year AMs for me on, on, on cars are, uh, to me, uh, impractical and they're going to lead to hardship for people because they're going to be paying their leases off long after the cars are no longer working. Um, or there's a significant risk of that. So I think the government, I think it's time for the government to address, um, that concern. Um, although I will add the caveat, I think my industry um, talks way too much about it and, um, uh, and, and, and does so as if to say, well, we shouldn't regulate mortgage debt, we should regulate other forms of consumer credit instead. Um, and, and I don't think that a credible, informed person uh, should be saying that. I think mortgage debt is, is more significant, there's no denying it, and while consumer credit needs a look, uh, it, it doesn't, it, 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 I don't think it's responsible to suggest that, um, uh, that consumer credit is where regulation is needed and mortgage credit is, is fine. Interesting. David, we've run out of time, but I, again, appreciate your time today. Thank you for your insights. And if people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to do that? 
Well, I would say they can either Google David LaRock. My last name is spelled exactly as it sounds, L-A-R, as it sounds, L-A-R-O-C-K. Or they can go to my website at M-O-R-P-L-A-N.ca, moreplan.ca. Great. Thanks, David, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Andrew. Great. Thanks, David, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for listening to the True Condos Podcast. Remember, your positive reviews make a big difference to the show. To learn more about condo investing, become a True Condos subscriber by visiting truecondos.com.